In the past, effective laser ablation for arterial blockages was limited to primarily below the knee. But recently, the FDA has approved a product that is used for ablation above the knee. You are listening to ReachMD XM157, the channel for medical professionals. Welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable. I am your host, Dr. Mark Nolan Hill, Professor of Surgery at the Chicago Medical School, and with me today is Dr. Robert Beasley, Director of Vascular and Interventional Radiology at Mount Sinai Medical Center in Miami Beach, Florida. Welcome, Dr. Beasley. Thanks for having me, Mark. Today we are discussing Turbo Booster, a catheter that ablates arterial blockages above the knee. Well, Dr. Beasley, let's start from the basics. What is peripheral arterial disease? Peripheral arterial disease uh, consists of atherosclerotic plaques, which occlude partially or completely the uh, arteries of the lower extremities, anywhere from the iliac arteries to the superficial femoral and popliteal arteries to below the knee, the tibial vessels. The severities of the peripheral arterial disease can be measured uh, with the ankle brachial index and can also be measured to the degree of the Rutherford scale, one through six, uh, meaning uh, the least serious or severe form of peripheral arterial disease is the Rutherford one category and then the more severe serious forms which encompass critical limb ischemia, leading on to ulcerations, and gangrene are the Rutherford 5 and 6 categories. The Rutherford categorization is based on what specifically? It's based on the ABI primarily, uh, which is, again, the ankle brachial index, and that basically measures the blood pressure of the ankle over the blood pressure of the brachial artery. Can you review that with us simply in terms of when is it critical? Critical is primarily below an ABI of 0.5 to 0.4. When you get down to that range, then you're really compromising the circulation to the lower extremities. And is it different in a diabetic? Yes, it is. Yes, it is. Diabetics are uh, much more prone to have the critical ischemia, peripheral vascular disease than non-diabetics. Uh, I believe it's more like three to four times as much likely to have uh, critical ischemia. Uh, and the sequelae, which are, again, ulcerations, cellulitis, and ultimately gangrene. Does arteriosclerosis in the diabetic and non-diabetic, in the lower extremity specifically, affect certain vessels more than others? Yes. As you go down the vascular tree, you find that they become, I think, more affected as you go distally. The iliac arteries primarily are preserved in patients that are diabetics. Superficial femoral and popliteal arteries are also relatively preserved. Once you get down into the tibial vessels, however, this is where the culprit lesions usually lie, and they usually are quite severe with either complete blockages of the tibial vessels or partial blockages with stenoses or subtotal occlusions. Now, what exactly is laser ablation? Laser ablation is applying a laser energy to a plaque. The laser that we use uh, is the Exmor laser. It's 
not to be too technical, but a cesium chloride-based uh, laser. And uh, an RF, or a radio frequency pulse, is applied to a medium of this, and it excites one of the photons to pop out of the orbit or whatever to produce a laser burst. And the laser burst that is produced is about 430 nanometers of wavelength. And that, uh, coincidentally enough, is the burst of laser or, or the energy of the laser that most effectively will ablate the plaque in the artery. Now, how do you determine if a patient needs a surgical bypass versus laser ablation? Surgical bypasses have been primarily most effective, I believe, in patients that have above-the-knee blockages, patients that have excellent runoff. The patients, however, that don't have excellent runoff do poorer with the surgical bypass, as we all know. Patients that have critical ischemia and ulcerations in their feet typically are poorer patients for bypass, and the laser basically creates a channel to be followed by balloon angioplasty, which then opens up the artery, if nothing more than for three or four months, so that we can heal this patient's wound. And once the, the wounds heal, if the artery then closes back down, then you know that's not such a bad thing. The patient may go on and fully well heal the foot and not have any major sequelae following that. Can you do the procedure again? Yes, you can. And sometimes we do have to do that in patients that have severe wound healing problems. And you know what we're trying to do here is to keep these folks from losing their legs. I mean, as you all probably know, a full 40 to 50 percent of the patients that have amputations will be dead in uh, 18 to 24 months after the amputation. And the, the stress that it puts on our healthcare system economically is, is amazing uh, for this last 18 to 24 months in these folks that can't ambulate. So if you can you know, keep their legs on even if they've lost a couple of toes or uh, transmetatarsal amputation or something like that, it's well worth the effort you spend to try to do this to keep their legs on. And with excellent wound care combined with uh, the endovascular approach really, uh, I think, is paying dividends and uh, keeping these uh, folks' legs on. If you have just joined us, you are listening to ReachMD XM157, the channel for medical professionals. I'm your host, Dr. Mark Nolan Hill, professor of surgery at the Chicago Medical School, and we are speaking with Dr. Robert Beasley, director of vascular and interventional radiology at Mount Sinai Medical Center in Miami Beach, Florida. Today we are discussing Turbo Booster, a catheter that ablates arterial blockages above the knee. Dr. Beasley, you were involved in the clinical trial for the Turbo Booster. Can you tell me more about that trial? Yeah, the trial uh, had uh, 15 sites in the United States. We performed Turbo Booster on approximately 60 to 70 patients in the United States and we had several uh, endpoints. The first endpoint was just the safety and efficacy of the new Turbo Booster product. The second was long-term patency, which we wrapped up the trials in March, and, and we're following up now with some six-month data. And by the way, they look pretty good. Secondary endpoint was, again, patency at six months. And uh, we also had some softer endpoints we were looking at, such as freedom of having to place a stent in the superficial femoral or popliteal artery following the Turbo Booster. Well, what makes you decide to put a stent in or not? Several things, uh, primarily dissection or residual stenosis or blockage. If the blockage is 30 to 40 percent 
residual following the treatment, then we usually don't put a stent. We do evaluate this with intravascular ultrasound. It's not just a an iffy measurement that you look at and say, this looks 50, this looks 30, this looks 20. We had a definite measurement uh, using the intravascular ultrasound. So if the blockages are, say, 30% or less, then we definitely would not put a stent or any other type of adjunctive therapy. Turbo Booster can give you a 70% lumen in certain situations. It is limited in heavily calcified vessels, so therefore you may have to have some adjunctive therapy such as a balloon or a stent. And the way the Turbo Booster works is it takes your laser catheter, your standard 2.0 millimeter laser catheter, it's loaded onto the turbo booster, and the turbo booster makes these quadrants around the vessel so that we can make up to 5 to 6 millimeter uh, lumen uh, in these vessels using the standard laser catheter on the turbo booster. Boy, that's impressive. What is the mean patency that you found in your trial? We're basically evaluating that right now, and I don't think we have any hard data, but anywhere on my patients, I got uh, anywhere from 20 to 30 percent residual plaque to uh, some patients that were heavily calcified. We had to place stents. We had to place uh, on top of doing a balloon, which at that point, then you're going to get very little residual uh, stenosis, but the fact of having an indwelling stent may promote instant restenosis, which is you know why we try to perform this procedure without adding any extra metal uh, to the lumen of the artery. Now, are these patients heparinized afterwards? They're heparinized during the procedure. Afterwards, we place them on Plavix and aspirin. How long does this procedure take usually? It takes anywhere from uh, 45 minutes to an hour on lengths of anywhere from 5 to 7 centimeters in length. I don't envision this in treating a long segment superficial femoral artery blockage, uh, although it may in the future, but I think this has its best uh, treatment options in patients that have short segment occlusions or high-grade stenoses of, say, you know, 5 to 10 centimeters in length. Do you do this under local anesthesia or conscious sedation? Conscious sedation with local. So where is this done, in your angiography suite or in the operating room? Either one would be fine. We perform it in the cardiac catheterization lab is where I have my angio suite, which is OR compatible, but this could just as easily be performed in the operating room if the imaging equipment is sufficient. And what are the complications of this procedure? Complications are very low. You worry about the, the hematomas that result from uh, long-term heparinization while the patient's on the table, you know, an hour to two hours of heparinization. You worry about, uh, you know, possible infection, possible embolization, which is, is not so great given the fact that you're using a laser, which, you know, pulverizes this plaque into very small particles. And then, of course, if you do have a dissection, you have to take care of that with a stent. Do you ever get any pseudoaneurysms from this? You can. You can get a pseudoaneurysm from your puncture site. And we'll be using uh, an 8 French system, so it's not a small hole. Usually with most catheterizations and most treatment modalities, you use a 6 to 7 French system. So this is a slightly larger system. But uh, if you're proficient with a closure device, you can usually take care of this problem without you know, worrying about a pseudoaneurysm. How do you make sure that in using this laser, ablating this abnormal tissue, that you don't perforate the vessel? You make sure that when you go through the 
blockage that you stay intramural, that you don't go subintimal. If you do go subintimal, it's contraindicated to use this device. So you just have to make sure that you stay subintimal. And if you're experienced in the catheter and wire techniques, you can tell if you go subintimal. And that's why this probably would not be the best device to use in long segment occlusions because if anyone who does this knows that uh, in long segment occlusions, to go through these occlusions, you most of the time will go, at least some portion of it will go subintimal. And how long has this technique been around? The turbo booster actually is just being released this month nationwide uh, to certain selected vascular surgeons, cardiologists, and interventional radiologists. The technology of laser has been around since the mid-90s, I would say. This particular cool laser is how we refer to it. It's not the same as the older lasers back in the early to mid-90s that were the YAG lasers, which basically burned holes into not only the plaque, but also sometimes could go uh, extraluminal and uh, have a perforation. I want to thank Dr. Robert Beasley, who has been our guest. We have been discussing Turbo Booster, a catheter that ablates arterial blockages above the knee. I'm Dr. Mark Nolan Hill, and you have been listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD, XM157, the channel for medical professionals. For comments and questions, please send your email to xm at reachmd.com. Thank you for listening.